0: Welcome to Shelter in Place, a podcast about finding daily sanity in a world that feels increasingly insane. Coming to you from Oakland, California, I'm Laura Joyce Davis. Earlier this week, I got a test email from one of my neighbors who lives just down the street. Their security camera had recorded my three children picking the plums off the tree in front of their house. This might have been forgivable if my kids had stopped there, but they didn't. They fetched a ladder from our backyard and carried it out to the sidewalk, where they proceeded to lean the ladder up against our neighbor's car and harvest every single plum their grabby little hands could find, even the ones that weren't ripe yet. You might think that this is the point where my shameless children trekked back home, their mouths smeared with plum juice and their hands sticky. I wish they had, but no. Instead, our three-year-old waddled up the path to our neighbor's house, looked around, pulled down her pants, and peed in their bushes. All of this was recorded on our neighbor's security camera and recounted to me later. I was mortified and also furious Nate has taken over the bulk of childcare during this pandemic, and my children's illicit behavior happened on his watch while I was working. When I demanded an explanation, he said he'd been busy making a smoothie for the kids and figured there was no harm in them picking some plums, since the little strip of soil between the sidewalk and the street is technically city property, a detail I am certain that our neighbors aren't aware of. Nate had the back door open as he worked, watching and calling out to the kids as they came and went. He said that when they got the ladder, he'd been impressed by their initiative. I didn't agree with his judgment, but even I had to admit that the ladder was pretty ingenious. My kids are eight, six, and three, and short for their age. It must have been quite a sight to see them hefting that six-foot ladder. But Matea peeing in the yard, that was just too much. Nate paused and looked at me bashfully. "'That one might have been my fault,' he admitted. "'You peed in their yard?' I shrieked. "'Of course not,' he said quickly. "'But the kids have occasionally seen me pee in the bushes in our backyard "'when I was doing yard work and didn't feel like going inside. "'It's good for the plants.' "'I groaned and put my head in my hands.' I made Nate promise to repair the relationship with our neighbors and not to pee in the yard anymore, and to tell the kids that it wasn't okay to do it either, and make sure they didn't pick any more plums. The next day, the kids made a card saying that they were sorry. Nate talked to our neighbor and patched things up. And so goes another week of pandemic living. With children, more is caught than taught, as the old saying goes. We've seen the truth of this over and over, often in ways that are humorous. It's why our three-year-old pinches salt from our stove-side ramekin to season all of her food, no matter what she's eating. It's why our son gripes about wasting water whenever his sisters put the tap on full blast while washing their hands. It's why our kids throw their dirty clothes in the corner of the hallway instead of putting them in the hamper. They see us do these things every day. It's debatable whether or not they even register our request to do otherwise. Unfortunately, this principle extends to more serious things as well. It's why our kids harp at each other irritably, no matter how much we ask them to use kind, gentle voices. Why they blow up when they're mad. I didn't think we had problems managing our anger until we started hearing verbatim the same words we'd uttered in moments of anger— from the mouths of our babes. My kids are all tantrum throwers of varying degrees. Turns out their parents are, too. Given that Nate's nickname for all of his childhood was chill, I think it's safe to say that the anger he's discovered in adulthood is something he's caught from me. Of course, not everything our kids have caught from us is bad. Recently, when Nate and I were arguing about something and the conversation began to escalate, our son interrupted and said, I think both of you should stop arguing and take 10 deep breaths. He was absolutely right, and we did just that. It all but fixed the problem. During this pandemic, our kids have caught some things we hadn't anticipated. With school out and playing with friends off the table, Our daughter, Grace, has taken to jogging up and down our block while she pushes her little sister in the jogging stroller. This isn't just some little kid stroller. It's the one I took on the trails when all three of my kids were little. Running has been my go-to survival mechanism for most of my time as a parent, my primary source of sanity for my entire adult life. I can tell you that even as an adult, pushing that stroller is a lot of work. The stroller is heavy. And almost as tall as Grace. But that doesn't deter her a bit. She begs to run around the neighborhood pushing Matea in the stroller. The last time I ran with her, she made it 11 minutes before she had to stop and walk. We've gradually allowed our kids to have a little more freedom during this pandemic, since fewer cars come through our neighborhood and most of our neighbors know our kids by name. For the past month or so, We've allowed Grace to run back and forth on our block with Matea and the stroller as long as she comes back to check in every few minutes or so. Our friends Heather and Reka live in the house at the end of the block, and so we told Grace that she could run there and then turn around. On one such occasion, Reka was outside, and so each time Grace came to her house, they chatted. Grace let her know that she had her mommy's permission to be there, but after a few minutes, she needed to go home and check back in. This cycle repeated three or four times, each time with Grace chatting with Reka and then coming back to let me know that she and Matea were still safe. But then Grace came back a fifth time. She chatted with Reka the same as the other times, at last telling her that it was time to go. But then she looked down the sidewalk, and her eyes grew wide with horror. The blood drained from her face. She glanced over at Reka with a look of pure terror. There's a person on the sidewalk, she whispered, her voice hoarse. I can't get home and still stay six feet away. Reka assured Grace that the woman walking her way would likely go on the street to let Grace pass, which is, of course, exactly what happened, much to Grace's relief. Reka and I had a good laugh about it later. But also, we recognized the implications of Grace's reaction. For better or worse, our kids are learning to be afraid of human contact during this time. Even as a six year old, Grace is on guard, walking through the world with a six foot radius. I'm grateful that my kids understand social distancing, but also, I wonder how this life where touch is scarce will form their worldview if they'll carry that sense of danger and self-protection into adulthood. They're learning, too, that this world is not equally safe for everyone. They've been to three different protests, all of them family-friendly and observing social distancing. They've insisted on carrying the Black Lives Matter signs they've created themselves. The protests aren't just a first for them, but for me. I don't think I ever really fully grasped the importance of protests before this time. In this area, my kids are teaching me. The most recent protest we attended was a kneel-in, held at a busy intersection within walking distance from our house. At a designated time, everyone took a knee and knelt in silence for 8 minutes and 46 seconds, the amount of time that George Floyd was pinned down, long enough to kill him. As people on all four corners knelt, even the busy street grew quiet. Occasionally, someone would drive by and honk and raise a supportive fist out the window. It was a shockingly long amount of time, long enough to feel the pavement through my jeans, long enough to feel worried that my kids, who are loud by default, would be unable to hold the gravity of that silence. But as we knelt, I heard Matea whisper, What are you doing? And Grace whisper back, We're doing this because there are white people in the world killing black people, and it's not okay. We have to figure out a way to make sure that it doesn't happen anymore. I teared up hearing her speak, hoping that for all of the things we've modeled wrong as parents... Maybe this could be something we finally got right. And then Grace asked Matea if she needed to go to the bathroom. I breathed a sigh of relief when Matea whispered that she could wait until we got home. Until I saw Grace squatting in someone's front yard. I can get really discouraged when I think about all the things my kids do because they've seen us do it first. We try to be good role models for them, but almost every day we fail. We read parenting books and ask advice from friends and family who are further down the line. But when it comes down to it, the biggest work we need to do to be good parents is the work we need to do on ourselves. This doesn't let us off the hook for modeling better behavior for our kids, but it gives us a place to start. And maybe that's the daily sanity today, not just for parents, but for all of us. If our kids catch our behavior by watching it, then perhaps others do too. Maybe if we start to model the behavior we'd like to see more of in our world, others in our lives will catch it too. None of us is going to do a perfect job of that. Probably there will be times when we realize that the thing others have caught from us is the very thing we hoped not to pass along. But knowing that our behavior matters can help us make different decisions, ones that will make ourselves and our world better. It's hard work to not just talk about being better, but to actually live in a way that changes things. There might be some really shameful moments of realizing your kid peed in someone else's yard because they saw you do it first. But those moments are also opportunities to invest in relationships that we might have otherwise ignored to make the card and says, I'm sorry to take some deep breaths and try again. If you enjoyed today's episode, you can support the show by subscribing and sharing it with a friend. If you listen on iTunes rating and reviewing this podcast helps others find it too. As always, you can find more information about today's episode in my show notes at laurajoycedavis.com. Shelter in Place is proud to be sponsored by Brick and Mortar, old world style wines with California roots. Their bottled wines can be found at Michelin-starred restaurants like the French Laundry in Meadowood, and you can find their canned wines at Safeway stores in Northern California. You can also order their wines online, At brickandmortarwines.com. Use the code SHELTER to get 10% off and support this show. The Shelter in Place music was created by Chase Horseman at Reactor Productions. Tamara Kimsley is our associate producer. Nate Davis is our creative director. And Sarah Edgel is our design director. Until tomorrow, this is Shelter in Place. I'm Laura Joyce Davis.